You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Hey, we are glad that you're here with us at Calvary. It is a great Sunday to be here. I'm not teaching this morning, so you already know it's going to be better than if I was. So it's already turning out to be better than you expected. But uh, we have uh, an amazing uh, communicator that's going to be sharing with us. And listen, one of the things that we always try to do is whenever I'm not here is bring in uh, the very best communicators that we know. And, uh, so, and today is certainly... Uh, going to be a treat for you. And so just so you know, Trinity uh, Jordan, who's going to be speaking for us today, he, uh, he and I met years ago at a uh, pastor's conference and um, became, became um, friends. And then uh, he was pastoring a church in Utah, had written some books, and I was pastoring here and, uh, at Calvary. And then through a whole series of circumstances, uh, he ended up moving to Miami uh, to go to law school at UM and then started attending Calvary. And that's how he and I really became uh, great friends uh, was through the four years that he was uh, here. And then um, after he finished law school, besides being a pastor and a best-selling author, he uh, became a U.S. attorney. So not only will he preach the Bible to you, he can put you in jail. And so, uh, but anyway, and so now he's got all kinds of things going on. And um, so... Why don't we give a warm Calvary welcome to uh, Pastor Trinity Jordan. Oh, it's always good to be back here in uh, Miami and back with Pastor Bob and Carrie and their, the whole family. Uh, Bob and Carrie are great friends of ours. Listen, I get to go all over the, the world and I get to be at a lot of different churches and be around a lot of different pastors. You guys have top shelf here. Like Bob and Carrie are amazing. Pastoral staff here is amazing. Um, I mean, it could be worse. You could have me. Uh, but you have a handsome sucker like uh, Pastor Bob Frank was here. Uh, so here, here's what's going on in my life, like you guys care. Um, and that is, we have two daughters, and our oldest daughter... 18, just graduated from high school. She's going off to college. And so we're dealing with that. And we, we live back in Salt Lake City right now. And she's going to college in Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so we're dealing with this idea of our, of our, our baby girl moving states away. And so she has to deal with this. Her dad, pastor, lawyer, I don't know what I am. But I like to impart knowledge to her all the time, like deep knowledge of life to her all the time. And she's, maybe that's why she's moving states away. I don't know. But she's like, stop, dad. And so like, we're, we're literally this week, fly down to Dallas on Thursday, drop her off for a camp at college that she's doing for freshmen. And then Yesterday, I fly here to be with you, and then when I'm done here, I'll fly back to Dallas and hang out with her for a few days, and then fly back to Salt Lake, and, and so I'm dropping her off, and we're driving onto the campus, and I'm like, listen, babe, let me tell you, you need to do like the professors tell you at this school. You need to sleep more than you study. You need to study more than you party, and you need to party every chance 
that you can. She's like, what does that even mean, Dad? I'm like, that means you study more than anything and sleep. You know, I'm like, I'm just imparting these things. You're like, stop, Dad, stop. You know, there's, I mean, you know what I mean. You got dads, too, that are just won't stop. And so this is where I am in life. I'm, I'm in this, like, life stage where I'm, like, trying to move my daughter on and impart onto her. So here's the problem today. I'm going to treat you like my college student daughter, and I'm going to impart this life wisdom upon you. As it, you have no choice. You're sitting here. I have the mic. You're going to go with me on this journey. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I love the book of Ecclesiastes. It's, it's my favorite Old Testament book. If you're brand new to this following Jesus thing, I don't recommend that you like, hey, dive into Ecclesiastes and start reading it because that guy on stage said it was his favorite. No, it's not a very chipper book to read. It is actually a pretty, like Eeyore wrote this thing. It's just, it, it deals with deepness of life and sorrow of life and the rejection of life and all the horrors of life. That's why I like it so much. You know, it's just a very real book. And it's one of these books within what we call the wisdom literature of our Old Testament. And it's written by self-proclaimed, you know, smartest man in the world, Solomon. He's king of Israel at this time. He's he's got, God has blessed him with wisdom and he's super smart and he's writing this book. And I'll give you, I'll give you this snippet of, of, of Ecclesiastes, that Ecclesiastes is Solomon's way of saying, look, I'm smarter than you, I'm richer than you, I've had access to everything, and so I've tried to figure out what in this world gives true meaning to life. And he goes through everything, and I'll tell you the end, he's like, it's all worthless. It's all meaningless. And he, but he goes through everything, and that's, that's what he tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so at these different points, he's always kind of like wrestling with just the deep things of life. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So I'm not going to give you a lot of scripture. I'm just going to give you some verses from Ecclesiastes 4. And I'm going to walk you through it and kind of paint the picture. And then we're going to go back into it and show you how you gave us the answer to, to really the question, the, the solution. And it's actually in the problem itself. Is that Okay. I don't know why I asked you permission. <laughs> Buckle up. Like, that's, that's where we are. So uh, now look, we're, we're reading an ancient language that's been translated into English for us. And it's sometimes confusing, especially when we're dealing with somebody as smart as Solomon. And so I'm going to help to translate this for you. I'm going to be honest with you. Translation is not one of my best skills. When I was in South Africa 10 years ago, or so, I was told, don't tell jokes in other languages. And I don't ever listen to what people tell me. So I did. It went bad. This is exactly what happens. I am in South Africa and I'm at this event. And this is what I said on stage. I was on stage and I, I told them, I said, listen. I've traveled all over the world, and when I find myself in a crazy situation, I just say something crazy in their language, and they'll leave me alone. So when I go to a Spanish-speaking country, I'll say, Tengo el gato los pantalones. Now, nobody in South Africa knows Spanish, and that was a terrible way of saying what I said. 
and they just blinked at me. So I said, so if I find myself in a crazy situation here, I'll say, Eckhart Cotton Mabrooks. I said in Afrikaans, the place went ballistic. Like people are spitting their drinks out. The waiters are like dropping food. Like uncontrollable laughter for a good like five minutes. Like I looked at my wife and I was like, babe, we are moving to South Africa. I am the Chris Rock of South Africa. We are moving here right now. It's that easy. And afterwards, the guy came up to me. He's like, the guy that brought me out there, he's like, Trinity, Trinity, you just told everyone you have poop in your pants. <laughs> well, it worked. Say something crazy in their language. I mean, why didn't anyone correct me when I was backstage practicing, but whatever. Um, some things can be lost in translation. I'm hoping that we do a little bit better today as we walk through this translation. So look at this, Ecclesiastes chapter four. We're gonna read three verses right off, verses one through three. It says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold, the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Wow, chipper little three verses to start off with. It's better be dead than to be the one that's living through all of this. Thanks, Solomon. So here's what he's talking about. He's talking about hurt, pain, and betrayal. And just what it is to live life. Like any of you that have lived some life, you know what this is. And I was the lead pastor for a good 10 years. And, and I think back when I read this kind of stuff and I think about all of the times I listened to people come into my office and talk about the suffering that they had in their life, the oppression that they had, that hurt, that pain, betrayal. I think for a lot of us, in here, that's, that's a reality. Maybe some of us, those are just words, but a lot of us, I say those words, betrayal, and it has a story for you. I say the word hurt, and you can feel it inside. How many times I've heard somebody sit in my office and say, my husband's leaving, or somebody tell me I've been diagnosed with cancer, and they've given me just a few months and there's no recovery. Or I've got this sin in my life and I've been struggling with, with getting rid of it. And I, no matter what I do, I can't shake it. And I, I think what, what's, what's going on here is Solomon's lamenting all of that, lamenting what life is, just the frustration here with pain, with oppression, with reality of all those things that exist. And what he's kind of saying here beneath the surface and, and right there with us is we're trying to translate this together is that those that seem like they're in power to actually help us from those things don't do anything. They really can't help us. I know some of you are like, oh, I know. I watch, I watch the news. Those that are in power really don't do anything. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's called politics. Um, 
And so, and that's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. And so can I just tell you, like this is just me trying to be as real and honest as possible is like a lot of times, like good thing you guys go to a good church, but a lot of times church, church can also be part of that problem because we, we, we run into real danger at church and be leery when a church says, you do these three things and everything's good. Do these four steps. And when you do those four steps, oh, you're in the promised land. Like be leery of that. Because what happens when you do those four things and you're still doubting, you still have worry, you still don't have faith, like either go, well, they were a liar, or we do, I think what's more natural is we go, something's wrong with me. I'm the problem. I'm broken. And I think that's, that's easy to do when we come to church, right? It's because we come to church and everybody looks like they've got it together. Everyone looks so nice. I mean, you guys are just look great. Good looking group here. I've been to some churches and I'm like, oh. But this one, like you guys look like you got it together. And you go to, you go to worship and there's people worshiping and praising and saying, oh, oh joy and oh yes, Lord. And they're, they got tears during worship and somebody gets up on stage and they seem like they got it all figured out. And so it's easy to come to church and think you're the problem and everybody else has got it fixed and they know what's going on. But, but, and, and you start to think that you're the one that's missing something deep inside of you. And churches have a way of doing this too, is saying, well, we've got the secret sauce over here. And if you do this, everything's going to be okay. And another church is, no, 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 no. We got the secret sauce. And if you do this, everything's going to be okay. And you're bouncing from each one of those things, doing them, and realizing you're still unfulfilled. It's because there's a bunch of people that are serving up trash that they never can deliver on. And Solomon says here, and this is your first fill in the blank, sometimes there is no easy answer. Sometimes there's no easy answer. He says, I've looked around and I've noticed that there's just hurt and there's pain and there's oppression. And if there's any of you in this room that have lived some life, you know what I mean. That's reality. See why I like the book of Ecclesiastes. It's just so like raw. Some of you are like, you're twisted. Yes. Okay, here's what I love about it too doesn't give us the answer. doesn't give us the answer right now. He just moves on to the very next thing, this other thing that he's kind of noticing about life in general. And so um, I think one of the things, and I, I made it a fill in the blank because I think it's a good discussion point, especially later on, is I think what tends to happen at this point in life is when you notice that there's pain and hurt and oppression in the world around us, one of the things is we, we blame ourselves but we also blame God. We tend to blame God for the hurt and pain. And Solomon's actually gonna address this as we get down of what God has given to you and me and our lives to address this pain. He's gonna give it to us soon, but not yet. Ecclesiastes 4.4 4 says this, then I saw that all toil 
and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. Okay, here's what he's saying right here. I love this. He's saying the clothes that you're wearing, mm, you're not wearing them because you need clothes. You're wearing those clothes because you want your neighbor to see you in those clothes. That car that you're driving, mm, you're not driving that car just to get you from point A to point B. You want to be seen in that car. What he's saying is at the center of all of our hearts is us. We want to be noticed. We want to be central. We want to have attention on us. And it's the driving force. Like a lot of us don't go to the gym and work out because we want to be fit. We just don't want people to see us to be not fit. We care about what others think about us. We care about what people are thinking about the choices we're making, the shirts that we're wearing, the cars that we're driving, the things that we're into, because at the center is us. And this becomes a big part of our lives. And so Solomon here is saying, how can you handle life on earth when there's hurt and there's pain and there's oppression and really nobody cares about each other? They're all self-centered. That's how he kind of starts off Ecclesiastes chapter four. Oh, I love it. I love it. And so he's going to point out a couple more things and then we're going to get to the, the solution here. Verse five. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. So here, here's what he's saying. He's saying that people, people kind of go, look, there's no God. There's no real answer. Everybody's self-centered. And then he keeps going, verse seven and eight. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure. This also is vanity and an unhappy business. And so Solomon's here is saying, look, some of us, we fold up our arms and we just say, forget it. I'm out. I'm done. And we what we do is we dive into our work or our ministry or our job and we just try to like busy ourselves with something in this world and we just try to put on blinders so that we don't have to deal with the fact that there's people around us that are self-centered, including ourselves, that there's hurt and pain in this world. And so we just wanna put on blinders. But what Solomon is also saying here is that God has another plan for surviving all of this. God has another plan. And he's gonna say it in the very next verse. Now, if you've spent any time in church, the next verses that we're about to talk about, you're gonna be like, oh, I recognize these ones. Yeah, it's probably on a coffee mug somewhere. Hasn't made it to bumper sticker status yet. It's still young, only a couple thousand years, don't worry. But, man, that one lands better sometimes than other places. But it's on a coffee mug. So check this out. Verse nine, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. 
but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Okay, listen, let's back up. Rewind. The world's broken. The world's broken. And anyone who says differently is probably in the nursery right now. Like pain and suffering to, some, to a three-year-old is, you didn't hand me your cell phone when I asked for it, right? Or waiting 22 seconds for the timer to go off on the, the microwave to heat up some food. Like the world, you know, self-destructs in that 22 seconds. That, that's sorrow to a toddler, okay? But the majority of us, we've tasted, we've sensed, we've been, we've seen that this world has hurt and pain in it. And Solomon says, look, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, it's not God to blame. Even though you're self-centered, it's not you to blame. It's that we need each other. Like, this is the solution. Each other. We need each other. Like, we desperately, in the very deep way, with God as the center, we need each other. And he starts to unpack this for us. And he says, when there's two of you together, that's, there's, that's the better return. You need each other to get through this. How do you survive this? Each other. How do you get through this? Each other. What's God's plan? Each other. Like, let me ask this kind of rhetorical question. Have you ever tried to heal like, have you ever tried to heal from something that's happened in your life? Have you ever tried to heal the deep places? You know those parts of you that kind of misfire? That clink a little bit? The ones that bring you back to the same junk over and over and over again? Like, praise God for people that come alongside of you and walk with you during those times. Now, I'm going to say something. You're going to be like, wow, that was profound. Like, you're going to put it on a bumper sticker. I'm being facetious. Some of you need to look up that word, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to let you think about it, and then we're going to address it. It's going to be very deep, all right? And it's going to be a fill in the blank, too. The thing about your blind spots is you can't see them. Profound. If you can't see where you're weak and where you're prone to fail, how can you fix those things? You can't. Now, my daughters, my daughters hate that. Maybe this is why she's moving states away but I use sports analogies for everything in our house. Um, and so I, I'll, I'll do that right now. And I'll even use Boston as my, since Pastor Bob is a big Boston guy, I'll, we'll, we'll talk about the Patriots. Um, no, I'm going to talk about them in a good way. Don't worry. I know it's, it's a little different than what you're used to. Uh, but Tom Brady can do things that Bill Belichick can't do. I mean, Bill Belichick can probably run faster than Tom Brady. But other than that, like, Bill Belichick can't throw that football like Tom Brady. 
But what Bill Belichick can do on the sidelines is watching Tom Brady as he can tell him all of his weaknesses and his flaws in his game. And then he can point them out to Tom and he can help correct those things in Tom. And Tom gets to be a better quarterback because of the coach on the sideline. This is what good friendship is. Good, godly friendship is having someone, a good man, a good woman, godly man, a godly woman who knows you in such a way that they can walk alongside you and they can come to you and they can say, I am seeing this in your life. You might not be able to see it. I'm nervous for you here. Let's fix this. Let's walk with you through this. Like, I find that few people actually have those types of godly relationships where they feel comfortable having those deep conversations where they can correct one another, love one another, and work with one another as they correct these blind spots. And so what Solomon's saying here is, here's how you get through all of this. Here's the, how you get through that self-centered heart of yours. Do it in numbers. There's safety in numbers. We need each other. Like we've been called as believers in Jesus to do life together, like to walk deeply together, to know one another, to confess our sins to one another, to challenge one another, to grow one another. Listen, when Pastor Bob's up here and he talks about us being dear friends, like he's not, he's not feeding you something. I would tell you, Pastor Bob is one of my dearest friends that I know I could call Bob and I could tell Pastor Bob, this is what's going on inside of me and he'll walk with me. We've done this with each other in life. There's safety in numbers. Why don't we have this? Why so few people have this in their life? Because listen, it's a reality that's taught all the time in church. Like this isn't something new. I'm not teaching something that you're like, wow. <laughs> Why don't more churches teach that? No, we've beat this horse to death. So what stops us from getting here? And I think the answer is actually what he's already given us in these verses that we've been reading. We just passed by it and just looked at all the problems and it realized he was actually telling us and giving us the answers of why this is so difficult for us. What are the things you and I should work on? So here's the real sermon right now. We're going to go backwards now, rewind into this and show you how he pointed out to us the solution. So I'm going to give you four things that I think are in this text, four things that we do that derail these types of relationships in our lives. The first one is in, in verse four. Verse four says this, then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. All right, I'm going to ask another rhetorical question. And I already know the answer. Here's what the answer is going to be, okay? I'll tell you what your answer is going to be. No, Trinity, no. That's the answer. Okay, here's the question. Have you ever found yourself in the deep recesses of who you are celebrating when others fail? No, Trinity, no. Yeah, no, me neither. No, me neither. Like, I've read about it. Heard about it. I've never, no. Never celebrated with anybody else's failed. Like, have you ever had that person that's like in your group 
that you kind of know part of you're associated with and something bad happens to them and you kind of smile a little bit? No, Trinity, no, never. Saw it on TV. It was a Netflix special. Right? Yeah, me neither. I've never done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or how about this one? Has there ever been that person that just annoys you, just gets under your skin? Someone's like, why? Why do they annoy you? Why do they get me? Because just, they're just too good and too pretty and everything happens for them. Like, really? That's why you, it annoys you? You're like, no, that's not me. No. That's her. Look, so here's the first thing that kills these types of relationships, that real godly relationships. Jealousy. Jealousy will always derail your chances of deep relationships. Listen, the reason why is because if you believe you deserve what God gave to somebody else, you will never love them. This happens even in families, your siblings, your spouse, your cousins, your grandparents, your uncles, your aunts. Listen, this is what God calls it. Christ calls us to know each other in such a way that when good things happen to you, I celebrate it. I rejoice. And when bad things happen to you, I mourn with you that it hurts me, it grieves me. And I'm being, I'm being so transparent and so real. This is the thing that I want to work on every day in my life is rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn because it takes me out of the center, right? You're like, yeah, that's good for you. <laughs> okay, here's the second thing. And I, I, I promise I won't camp out here on this second one very long. The second thing that derails any chance for meaningful relationships, it's found in verse five. Verse five says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Oh, what a great verse. So let me tell you what, what he's saying here. It's pretty, it's, I think it's pretty obvious here. He's talking about laziness. Laziness will derail real, true, honest relationships. Intimacy requires work. How many, how many married people we have in this room? Raise your hands. Yeah. Takes a lot of work, right? A lot of work. A lot of fighting for, wrestling with, striving, right? A lot of bumps, a lot of bruises. Like, it takes work. You don't stumble into that. Nobody stumbles into intimacy. It has to be worked for. But here's the thing. Lazy people actually understand community. They actually do. They really do. And the reason why is because they're life-sucking human beings that require other people to feed them. <laughs> yeah, wait for it. And eventually, people get tired of feeding them, and they will leave them all by themselves to feed off their own feces until they die. 
That's what Solomon's saying right there. They will eat their own flesh because they're so lazy. That's what Solomon says here. The man who folds up his arms. All right, moving on. That was a, we got to a high and then we go really low real fast. All right, let's, let's, let's move on to the third one. The third enemy of real genuine community here. And this is, let me talk to some of the college students. This affects all of us, but I'm just in college mode, dad. Dad, dad college mode right now, you know. And that is, I keep telling my daughter this. Is, is, it's like, babe, listen, you will never have another community like this, like what you're going into in college. I keep telling her that over and over. She's like, I know, dad, I know. I'm like, no, seriously, you will never have something like this where you guys all live together, you guys all eat together. I mean, unless you guys join a cult later on. Like, this is... Like, this is the last time, which you're not very far from Waco. So I guess it's possible. It's possible. Um, so here's the thing about college students is maybe it's because of the place they are in life, but they always seem to be looking at the future. Like when I graduate, when I get my job, when I get married, when I move to my final destination of where I'm going to live when I get out there. And so they're so future minded that they never plug in to where they're at right then, which is really what verse six is. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. What he's talking about here is dissatisfaction. If you're always in the future, you're never here today. If you're always in the future, you're never here today. So you're, if your head is always when something happens, when I get to this next level, when I get to that promotion, when I get that job, when I have that much money, when I'm dating that person, when I'm married, if it's always in the future for always some future plans, you're never in the reality of today and you miss what God has actually blessed you with now. The problem with tomorrow is it's always there. That's the problem. And the problem for today is that it's limited. Jesus has been unbelievably good to you now. Like stop being dissatisfied with what you've been given and start to embrace what you've been given and love what you've been given. Listen, I was a I was a 25-year-old and so ambitious. We were having kids. I was running in everywhere. If I could go back to myself at 25 years old and be like, Trinity, you don't need to travel nonstop. Just be. Just hang out. These kids are, they, this is it. The only time they're going to be three years old. The only time they're going to be four years old. The only time they're going to be five years old. Just be. But that's not just about being parents. That's us now. Like you have today. You have today. Enjoy today. Love today. My, my cousin, Micah, she's, she's like a, a sister to me. And eight years ago, she was diagnosed with a, a brain tumor. And the doctors told her like, I mean, max with some treatment, two years. You have two years to live. That was eight years ago. Um, 
and God has blessed her. But this year has been the tough year. This year has been two brain surgeries. It's affected now the way she walks. It's affected the way she talks. It's affected the, you know, just how she's thinking. It's really, it's really gotten to her. And here's the thing. When you're faced with having no tomorrow, today is very precious. And I see her and it's all about love. It's all about joy. It's all about experiencing stuff now. It's all about taking the trips. It's all about spending the time with her family. And I thought to myself, I'm, I, I mean, she's, she teaches me as I watch her life. But I thought, why is it like that for us? That when we're faced with no tomorrow, we finally care about today. People care about today. Don't be dissatisfied with what you've been given now. Embrace it, because dissatisfaction will kill genuine relationships. All right, here's the fourth one, the fourth great enemy of community, according to Solomon here. He's kind of smart. It's in verse 7. He says, again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? So here's the fourth and final enemy of real relationships. Work. Work. I know some of you are like, no, come on, man. No, you just, just railed on laziness. Um, it's, what are you working for? Like, what are you working for? Stuff? More stuff? Money? Listen, I was a pastor, lead pastor for a long time. I never, ever had a young lady walk into my office and tell me she hated her dad because she was driving a 1992 Chevy Astro van. They don't even make those anymore. It's got primer on the side, backfires in school zones. I'm embarrassed. Hate my dad. But I had a lot of young ladies walk into my office that had no relationship with their dad because he worked 90 hours a week and she was driving a $45,000 vehicle. What are we giving to our kids, our family? the life around us, when all we care about is stuff. And we spend all our time working. Listen, for future daddies in here, she don't need designer jeans. She needs you. Like maybe working 90 hours a week isn't a good thing. And I'm saying this to you because I'm a workaholic. It's a, it's a value of mine. I don't want to be lazy. I want to work. But there's limits. And I know some of you might not have a choice. I don't know what your circumstance is. But this is a big enemy to community. Is work. Okay. It's like these things are kind of ambiguous at, at, at points. And they all hit us all a little bit different. So... So what do we do with these things? Like, how do we address these things? How do we overcome these things? How do we make sure that we have good relationships? How do we have this type of community 
that Solomon kind of gets to at the end is being the solution. Us being together, having each other, sustaining through the pain and hurt and the oppression of the world and not making ourselves the center of all of this. Like, how do we have these types of relationships? How do we do this? There's no, it's not a magic spell. So how do we do this? Well, here's what I'll tell you. You have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. You have to be intentional with your time. You have to be intentional with your thoughts. You have to be intentional with your heart. And let me tell you, being intentional also means it's going to be inconvenient. It's not going to line up like what happens in other people's lives isn't going to line up what's happening in your life. You're going to have to get outside of your comfort zone. You're going to have to adjust your plans. So being intentional means putting it down in your calendar. It means scheduling it out. It means scheduling those coffees. Like you guys have great coffee down here in South Florida. You should introduce it to the rest of the United States. I don't know why you're so selfish that you just keep it here. But since you are, schedule coffees and take people to go to those things. Go to breakfast, go to lunch, invite people over for dinner, hang out after church. Don't just run to your car. Stay here, meet people, exchange phone numbers. Do this thing that I hate, it's texting. Oh, but see what Satan has intended for bad, God will use for good. You can text people and encourage them, ask questions, get to know them. Do you want to know how you engage people in their life? Ask them about them. Don't talk about you. Ask about them. That's how you rejoice with them. That's how you mourn with them. Is there somebody that God is putting into your heart right now that you need to rejoice with, that you need to mourn with, that you need to connect with? This is how we walk with people, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how we have real relationship because listen, friends, the world has hurt and pain and oppression. And Solomon says, you get through this, you get through this with godly friendships, godly relationships. You can't do this alone. And so some of you have been struggling and you've been struggling because you're doing it by yourself. You need others. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us the church, giving us this gathering, giving us a, a community, a pool of people that, that are following after you and desiring the same things to, to walk with you and to get through the hurt and the pain and the oppression of this world and to glorify you through all of it. And God, I pray that today we don't just, we don't just take what, what Solomon has said in Ecclesiastes and we don't just let it fall into to outlines and, and notes, but God, this becomes something intentional in our lives to have real relationships with others around us so that we can walk together and be that cord bound with you that cannot break, that will not break, that will help us sustain through 
just life. God, help us to be intentional. Bring forth to our minds those around us to connect with. And if, God, there's not somebody like that in our lives, I pray that you bring that person to us. We love you, God. We thank you for this community. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.